Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 52 of the Kennedy Mile Report, brought to you by our great sponsors, Carbonite Pro, online backup for your law office. Carbonite Pro backs up your files automatically and continuously, so you're always protected. Learn more and try it free at CarbonitePro.com. Clio, online practice management for attorneys at GoClio.com. And firm manager from LexisNexis, a leading provider of information and business solutions. Try it out free at MyFirmManager.com slash LTN. I'm Dennis Kennedy in St. Louis. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last podcast, we talked about our experiences getting the new iPad 2, although I have to admit I still haven't been successful in actually obtaining mine, including a try at the Apple Store in New York City. In this episode, we talk about a subject that really got me thinking on my recent trip. Tom, do you want to tell them what we'll be talking about? Absolutely, Dennis. But first, I have to say I really still love my iPad 2. In this episode of the uh, Kennedy Mile Report, we're going to discuss the topic of search, uh, why it's not satisfying, and some new tools that might be able to help all of you out with that. In our second segment, uh, we answer a question from one of our listeners, and as usual, we'll end with our parting shots, that one tip, website, or observation that you can begin to use as soon as the podcast is over. But on to our first segment, uh, search, search on the internet, and in general. Uh, A few weeks ago, we mentioned uh, about some changes, talked about some changes that Google was making to its search algorithm uh, that would keep certain low-quality results from rising to the top of search results. And prior to that, the search results that I was getting were pretty unsatisfactory. Since Google made the changes, I I can't really say that, although those those low-quality results aren't showing up as much as I thought, I can't say that, that... my, my search experience is getting any better. I really feel more and more when I search that I'm getting bombarded with a lot of irrelevant stuff. Dennis, is it just me? No, Tom, it's definitely not you. I, I And it's kind of interesting. Those Microsoft Bing ads, I think, really nailed the issue. Um, it, there is that sense out there that you type in a search you know, you you mention a word and all, all this stuff comes back to you and it's just almost random what's hitting you. Um, and so I, I love those Bing ads because there is that sense of, of search taking you out of the context you want and, and almost giving you these sort of re- related terms to what you want, but not exactly what you want. And I really noticed that on, on the recent trip we made because while I was in New York City, I was doing, you know, regular searches, but I would, I wanted to find things that were really relevant to what I was doing. And so I, I realized that, and, and I know there, we'll talk about this, but there is a sense of looking for a search in a context. And it would be nice to say, oh, we realize the location you're at and we'll give, and so the results will be tuned to that. So I wouldn't have to type in, say, New York City in connection with, with all my, my search terms. And, and, and so I think that, that mobile aspect of how we're, we're using computers is playing a role in search. But I also think that the, 
this all this tweaking with of search algorithms is is really causing some changes in the in the search techniques I use. I I just uh, before before we got on the call, Tom, I uh, wanted to get some URLs for my parting shots, and I just had a lot of difficulty searching on Google for things where I knew where they were, and and my old technique of just adding more words to the search really seemed to take this the results. Uh, to skew them away from what I wanted. So it seems like Google is more and more optimized to the one or two keyword search. And, and that can be problematic when you want to hone in on something. Is, is that sort of the, the, the problems that you're finding as well? Well, I think so. I mean, I think that Google still remains um, a fantastic search tool, especially when you know kind of what you're searching for, but you don't know where it is. Uh, you know, if I'm looking for um, the high tech act of whatever year it was passed and I, and I type in high tech act, it's going to the first couple of links are going to take me to a copy of that particular um, law regarding electronic uh, medical records. And um, but but if you're looking for something more general, I think you have to learn to finesse the system a little bit more. And frankly, even even with good knowledge um, of what you're looking for, I think that you still wind up with a lot of results that tend to be less relevant and less helpful than than you need them to be. And you actually, I'm, I'm finding myself going a couple of pages in, but once you of, of my search results, but once you get that far in, I think that the results actually get less useful the further you go, and and the most useful are on the first page, which tend not to be that great. I, I agree with you though. When when you talked about searching in New York, I really think that. Um, if we're talking about contextual search, and contextual search is is kind of a, a search for documents or records based on the data that those records contain, rather than their file names or keywords, which is more content searching. And and I think that mobile apps and mobile devices have a leg up on sites like Google for things like this because one critical element, I think, they can take advantage of your location. So when I open up that iPhone app and it says this app would like to um, use your current location, it allows you to search for for information or for uh, locations or different places that happen to be where you are. So I find myself, I don't use Google when I'm gone. I, If I'm looking for a restaurant, I use Yelp. If I'm looking for a, a, a pharmacy or a drugstore or, or a grocery store or something to go buy some some drinks or things at, I will, um, I will use another app that actually shows me all the stores that happen to be around me. And, and I think that that, that uh, you know, if I just end all of that data into Google or any other search engine without more context, I think that the results are are fairly useless. Now, I think where Google does do well in the context is, is with their advertising. I think if you plug in some search terms, look at the ads next to your search results, you will find that those ads magically relate to those terms. And if you use Gmail, um, you will also, I think, see ads at the top. I've seen ads at the top of my Gmail that are kind of scary. They relate to the text that I have in my emails. Um, but I, I find that, that that's sort of the interesting part of, of contextual search. Dennis, are there other types of search that you think uh, our listeners and we ought to be paying attention to these days? Yeah, a couple of things. But I wanted to touch on the, the what I'll call the app uh, development and, and almost like an app search. And so 
I think there is a sense of saying the general search engines don't work for me in certain contexts, but an app might that's really focused. Like you say, I'm looking for restaurants, I'm looking for hotels, you know, any number of things. You say, well, if there's an app for that and that hones in on my search, that's great. And what I what I found, Tom, which is interesting, because, you know, I the giving up my location privacy is, is really disturbing to me, and I don't like to do that. But I found that my results were so poor doing search and the apps were so helpful that I ended up allow you know allowing my iPhone to use my location just so because it helped me find things so much better and and so that's kind of a, for me an interesting development and evol, evolution in search but I, I think so there's the app notion I think there's uh, we'll call it social elements of search and and I think the other thing that's interesting to me that's similar to social is recommendation engines. And so with social, the idea is that we say uh, if Google currently, the Google rankings are all based on, you know, number of links and quality of links from, you know, from major sites to to other resources, then that helps helps Google identify the most important things. So social would say, what are the people in my network when they search for this term? What are the things that they're they're typically finding and and using? And so we're able to kind of leverage our network or other networks of people and say, rather than just pure links from one thing to another, which may be compromised by search engine optimization and other techniques, uh, what is that group of of people I'm socially linked to, what are they finding and what, you know, how are they using search? And those results may become a lot more useful um, because of, of that filtering. The other example along those lines is recommendation engines. And we're sort of used to that with Amazon. You know, if, if you bought this book, here are some other things that we recommend. And so they're looking at what a whole group of people who buy certain things um, would then also buy and trying to draw conclusions and make recommendations uh, to you. I think that's always been an interesting area. Uh, two, two things I like to say about that is I remember in the very, very early days of recommendation, I mean, back in the 90s, um, there was a, a service that, a lot, that recommended bands. So if you like one band, it would recommend others. And so I just remember one day that that service recommended two bands to me. And later that day, I got an email from one of my best friends who recommended two of the same bands to me. And and it was uh, kind of a, a, a striking thing. So those things can be really – the recommendation can be uh, uh, really interesting. That what Sometimes those results also get a little bit skewed uh, depending – because they look at what you buy on Amazon. So if you buy gifts for people, that will skew your recommendations. Um so some interesting things out there. And, and Tom, I think we talked about Westlaw 2.0 a while back, and, and they're building some of that, you know, if people who search for this also search for that kind of capability into their product as well. You know, I um, when, when we talk about social search and recommendation engines, I think that, that social search is a fairly interesting concept, but I'm not sure that it's any more satisfying to me than... Um, than than any of the other types of search. Uh, Google social search, I think, is pretty interesting. When I do a search in Google, um, it also searches what you call my social graph. The, the the folks that I connect to online, I have told Google that I've got Facebook friends and that I've got Twitter friends and things like that. And so it's it's searching um, those areas. All 
also to see if any of the people I connect with are talking about the search terms that I'm discussing. And if they do, then I'll find blog posts that they've written or I'll find sites that they've tagged that they find to be interesting. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of search is to say, here's what my friends um, are talking about on the subject. Not necessarily, I, I, I would say this is not really a recommendation engine to uh, so much as just mining the content of what uh, the uh, uh, what my friends are saying to see if that's useful. I haven't. I can't say that I've found anything more useful in those results than I've found in Google results. I, I, I'm a lot more intrigued by recommendation engines because I find that they take two different formats. Um, the uh, you know they used to be solely computer generated. I think Amazon for me was the first one that I became you know real familiar with, being able to tell me the books that I like. Uh, but there are some others that now are doing this on a regular basis. Netflix for movies, Pandora for music. Um, I think YouTube will do it for videos also. They're going to learn from your searches uh, and your choices, and they're going to try to bring you back better results and bring you back more of the things you want. So you're not actually having to search for anything at all. But now I think that recommendation engines are, or, or websites are using people uh, as recommendation engines as well. We t I talked about restaurants. I use Yelp almost exclusively to find restaurants. I believe completely in the power of the person and the power of the recommendation to tell me what kinds of restaurants I like. And so if I'm in New York City and there's a restaurant that I find uh, that I'm looking for, I will always go to the one that is higher rated that has a lot of people rating it. I that's that's something I believe in. And I think that Yelp is a powerful recommendation tool in that regard. I think StumbleUpon is a website that uh, allows people to go and uh, mention sites that they have stumbled upon that uh, that are useful or um, interesting websites, and that is one giant recommendation engine of websites to go to, and and it, it has a social element uh, built into that. But I think that that these tools are two different ways of searching for information uh, that. I still don't think get you exactly to where you want to be, but um, but but are but are new and interesting ways to get information that uh, that might be better than using Google or Bing or some other search tool. And Tom, I I have really I, I want to mention my the ultimate social search tool I use. It probably won't be available to everyone. Is when I can't find something, I just instant message you and seeing see if you can find it because uh, I've had great success with that. So that's that's always an approach. And and really, it goes back to the notion of of who's the trusted source and can you get to that person? That's another form of social search. Can I find somebody who has expertise in a field who can can guide me to the information? The other area I think, Tom, that I, I've always been fascinated by, and I think we're on the verge of seeing some of this start to happen, but I was always intrigued by the the specially, or I'll call them specialized search tools, the, the really heavy-duty search tools that are doing really innovative things that I think we see in the world of electronic discovery. So I'm going right. to turn this question over to you, but Dolphin Search, uh, Recommind, uh, Atenex, uh, these these uh, tools that allowed you to search in really interesting ways and, and use things like artificial intelligence, visualization, uh, contextual search of various kinds, really sophisticated stuff. Are, are we starting to see some of that turned to the outside world? And what are you seeing in electronic discovery that, that will have application to kind of help us with the search, the search problem? 
Well, I, I hate to say it, but I'm not sure that we're getting any closer to a solution. You know, search has been, to my mind, um, a hot topic in e-discovery for about three years running now, and, and probably before that, too. But uh, I think that there were a couple of years where we were getting ramped up on other topics with e-discovery, and now the real... The real uh, hot potato is search. And the reason why it's hot, because um, the volume of data that's being produced in lawsuits and investigations and regulatory matters, it's so huge. Lawyers don't want to, don't have time to review it all. And companies certainly don't want to pay their lawyers to review it all. And so that's why finding something that will cut the search time down uh, immeasurably is is a great, is is the holy grail really for e-discovery. And concept search um, exists in uh, many different formats. Like you said, the companies that you rec- uh, that you uh, just mentioned are all companies that offer some type of concept search. We've been calling it semantic search. In fact, we may have talked about semantic search in an early version of the Kennedy Mall Report. Um, that's actually been around for 20 years. Uh, you, you, the, the, the basic idea is you type in some terms that represent your concept. Your search results will show those related terms, but it will also hopefully show you clusters of related information so you can group related concept ideas together. So you're looking at groups of documents rather than individual documents. Um, arguably, that it reduces the amount of time and, and the amount of documents each you have to review. But really, no search is perfect. You know, just like regular keyword searches concept searches have to be refined. Now, there, I, the idea is that they're going to get better. Tools are being developed. Tools are in development right now and are being used that are getting better at refining those searches. I think precision is also an issue with concept searching. Um, you tend to get more results, but sometimes less precise results. And so the, the, today's tools are, are, are kind of working on that as well. I think, um, you know, rather than try and, and expound on this issue, I would refer our listeners to a recent podcast by our friends Sharon Nelson and John Simic, otherwise known as the Digital Detectives right here on the Legal Talk Network, they um, devoted a whole hour, a uh, whole podcast anyway, to search in e-discovery with people far more qualified than me to talk about it. So I urge you to give that a listen. Yeah, I, I, I second that recommendation. That's a that's a great resource uh, on, on that topic. Um, maybe we'll wind up with, with some ideas, some practical suggestions for people. I mean, I think there's a lot going on out there. Uh, when we're seeing artificial intelligence come in, there's a notion of crowdsourcing where you just kind of throw the question out to the, to the world and, and see who, who answers it. But I, I want to give people some practical ideas of where to go on this stuff. And, and I think that, you know, maybe one place you start is, is some of the advanced features in Google or some of the, the, the other search engines you might use. And then also branch out to some specialty tools. I think we're starting to see more where you can do a lot more, uh, finer adjustment to the searches that you do. Um, you can kind of narrow the topic, describe the type of documents that you're looking for. Um, you may see some tools. I've seen some tools with some sliders and other things so you can kind of uh, suggest you know what's more important or less important kind of fine-tune what you're doing and then and then I think uh, probably doing some searches on things like contextual search uh, semantic web some of those things will will give people an idea of, of some of the tools out there as well as frankly Wikipedia is is going to be a great resource to to give you an idea of what new tools are out there and and then maybe experimenting with them few of them. Tom, any uh, any suggestions you have? 
Well, you know, the only suggestion, I'm, I'm just going to leave listeners with one tip, and that is, you know, it is a common theme um, on this podcast that uh, we recommend you develop a portfolio of tools, depending on what it is you're using. And I think that's important in search, too. I think that understanding uh, what type of information you need to search for and how you need to search for it is going to determine the tool that you use. And so, like Dennis has said, try out some tools, try out the advanced tools on Google, um, you know, use the social, social search results that you might find in Google, learn when it's important to use a recommendation engine, um, You learn when it's important to use an app that, uh, that will use your location to help you find information. When you know the right tool to use, it becomes a lot easier to find the information information you need to find. Dennis, want to close us out on this segment? Yeah, I, I, I really think what's happening in the world of apps is is important. And I think we're, you know, we've moved a long way away from Boolean. I don't think we're ever going back to that, thankfully. Using the iPhone for search on, on my recent trip was an eye-opener. I think those Bing ads are really attractive because they tap into something real. So we definitely encourage you to experiment with some of the tools we've mentioned and, and keep an eye out for new developments. Before we move on to our next segment, uh, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsors, Carbonite Pro, Clio, and LexisNexis. Hi, my name is Kay Kenny from Legal Talk Network, and I'm joined by Jack Newton, president of Clio. Jack takes a look at the process of moving to the cloud. Now, how long does it take to move to the cloud, and is it a difficult process? No, I, with most cloud computing providers, moving uh, your data into the cloud is something that takes just minutes, not hours or days to do. You can get signed up and running with most services in just a few minutes. And uh, even if you have an existing, uh, a legacy set of data that you want to migrate to a, pro- a web-based practice management system like Clio, there's migration tools and migration services that we're able to offer to ease that process. So most firms can be up and running to the cloud in less than in the cloud in less than five minutes and can have their data imported uh, in a matter of hours or days. We've been talking to Jack Newton, president of Clio. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you. And if you'd like to get more information on Clio, feel free to visit www.goclio.com. That's G-O-C-L-I-O.com. A computer disaster is devastating. Imagine losing your client files and billing records. That's why more law offices are using Carbonite Pro online backup. With Carbonite Pro, your files are backed up automatically so it really gets done and continuously. They're stored securely and safely off-site. Plus, each employee can access their backed up files from any computer or from their smartphone with a free app. Prices start at just $10 a month. Start your free one-month trial at CarbonitePro.com. That's CarbonitePro.com. Thanks for tuning into our program today. We want to let you know about something extraordinary happening in the legal industry. Right now, hundreds of independent attorneys just like yourself are working to bring a very special product to market. These attorneys are part of a development program at LexisNexis, and they are working under NDA on a brand new application that will change the way you run your practice. This solution, LexisNexis Firm Manager, is a web-based, highly secure application operating in SAS 70 Type 2 attested data centers. If you are interested in test driving LexisNexis Firm Manager at no charge, or to learn more, 
Visit www.myfirmmanager.com slash LTN. And welcome back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. We always encourage questions from our audience, and we have one today. Here it is. I see that both of you are speaking at something called Ignite Law on the night before ABA Tech Show. What is Ignite Law, and what will each of you be talking about? Tom? Well, Ignite Law is actually based on an event that was created about five years ago in Seattle. Some uh, technology guys decided they wanted to get together with a group of people and share ideas over beer. And it and it turned into uh, a, an event where people get on stage and deliver a talk in five to six minutes. Uh, the, the pressure and the focus that one needs to actually deliver um, a a coherent message within five to six minutes is really quite astounding. And so that's part of the interest of Ignite. But you're actually getting, you know, the original one had 25 people who got up and gave a five minute speech. So it's 25 separate talks in what does that wind up being uh, a couple hours. So you wind up spending three hours doing that. Um, but you're getting a lot of information. Uh, Ignite events are now taking place all over the country. And the legal version of Ignite uh, is occurring for its second time, second year, started last year at ABA Tech Show. Our good friend Matt Homan created the event, uh, and it this year's event features 12 speakers speaking for six minutes each, and this year the subject is legal technology. Dennis, did I, uh, did I get everything right there? I think so, I, although I, I, my sense is that the, the, the topic is more future of, of the law practice and the role of technology in it. At least that's what right, I'm hoping right. it is. True. Because <laughs> that's what I'm, I'm going to speak toward. Um, but yeah, uh, Matt Holman and Joanna Forche, good friends of mine and, and yours as well, Tom, have put this together. Um, they, and I, I, as a speaker, it's really interesting because it's, it's so format driven. So you have, uh, a limit of 20 PowerPoint slides. They, the control of those slides is taken away from you as a speaker and they run and they transition every 18 seconds. And so you got to keep up with what you're doing. And, and so you need to have a, a true six minute presentation. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the challenge of that. And, and then I think it, it keeps it fast paced. It, it, uh, encourages speakers to, to kind of hit on a, a really, you know, an interesting, maybe thought provoking, maybe controversial topic and, and run with it quickly to get people thinking. And I think that this is the idea of Ignite is like throw out a bunch of new ideas quickly and, and then see if you get the spark in the room from people talking afterwards and throughout the session. So I think it's a great start to ABA tech show. Tom, uh, I, we were both chosen as, as, as part of the 12 speakers, which was a great honor, um, yep. because people voted on, on what topics and speakers they wanted. What are you going to be talking about? Well, my, uh, my talk is tentatively titled uh, The Post-PC Law Practice, uh, or Preparing for the Post-PC Law Practice, and it uh, centers around the, some comments that Steve Jobs made when the iPad 2 was unveiled a couple of weeks ago, where he announced that the iPad was ushering in the post-PC era, where we no longer would need a personal computer to do our work and instead would be able to do everything on a tablet or mobile device, which uh, has gotten a lot of conversation 
conversation in the technology world. And so I'm going to be addressing the issue of whether or not a lawyer can genuinely um, expect to have a post PC practice. Uh, and if they and if that is to be the case, what lawyers can do to prepare for that eventuality. Dennis, what about your topic? Well, your topic sounds great. I, mine is called the freemium practice of law. And I'm going to take a, a dash of Larry Lessig and a dash of open source principles and a little Chris Anderson's uh, book, Free, and a little Richard Susskind, and kind of shake it all up with some of my practical experiences and, and look at ways that potentially lawyers can, can give something and maybe even a core part of, of what they traditionally think is, is part of what they deliver as a lawyer, make that available for free as a basis to to generate more income and and I think a, a much more satisfying legal practice out of what they're doing. So um, it'll be a challenge to do that in six minutes. I'm really looking forward to it. I, I think I have some some really cool ideas that I'm putting together in a way I've never done that before, and I'm really interested in, in the reaction. I definitely want to get people thinking as as part of my presentation. Uh, Tom, last word. No, that sounds like a great topic, Dennis. That's something that I think everyone is talking about these days and, and putting together those folks and, and, and combining those ideas with your own experience, I think, is a great way to, to stimulate the audience. Um, just a reminder, the event takes place next Sunday. April 10th, uh, around 7.30 p.m. at the Chicago Hilton. If you're going to be in town for ABA Tech Show or if you're just in Chicago, come on over to the Hilton. The tickets are free, but you do need to claim yours. You do need to sign up for one before Friday, April 8th. Visit IgniteLaw.com for details. Dennis. Now it's time for our parting shots. That one tip, website, or observation that you can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, I am, uh, as much as my parting shots talk about Google, they also talk a lot about Dropbox. Dropbox is one of my favorite document management tools, and there is a new service that works with Dropbox now that I find very useful uh, for people who might want to uh, send documents to you or give you information. Uh, it's called JotForm. JotForm is a site that allows you to uh, embed uh, forms or other documents on a website or on a blog or on a personal site or on a private site. They could be your firm site, doesn't matter where. And uh, you can allow people who have the right credentials to fill out information and actually create a document that then is automatically stored within your Dropbox. Uh, a very interesting way to gather information and have people place files or certain things in your Dropbox without using email. It comes directly into your, uh, your managed folders in Dropbox and uh, is an easy and unique and interesting way to uh, to get documents from other people. To get to that, go to jotform, J-O-T-F-O-R-M.com slash Dropbox. Dennis. You know, Dropbox is like Evernote. It's like one of those things I just got to learn more about and, and start using. So I look for me to be pestering you about how to learn to do that soon. I have uh, a, a couple things today. Uh, and the first is, and it relates to, maybe it builds on the Ignite Law idea, but uh, a couple things about the future of, of law practice. Uh, and two things really uh, interested me recently. So first was a podcast by our friends Jim Calloway and, and Sharon Nelson. Uh, 
on their Digital Edge podcast. It's edition 41, and it's called The Future of Law Practice. You can find it in the March issue of Law Practice Today, which is at lawpracticetoday.org. Um, great podcast, good summary of what people are thinking in terms of the future of law practice and the role of technology will play in that. Good summary of, of some of Richard Susskind's ideas as well. The other thing is is a extended conversation that's going been going on between Toby Brown, Ron Friedman, uh, and a few others. Uh, most recently, Bruce McEwen, who does the Adam Smith Esquire blog, uh, also weighed in on on this and. Uh, it's it's also about the idea of uh, law factory, as they call it, and and sort of the future practice of law, custom versus commodity, um, the whole Richard Susskind idea. So uh, Bruce McEwen's post on Adam Smith Esquire is called Fourth in our series on strategy, tier one, tier two, and tier three. And that kind of summarizes the discussion to date and gives you links to the rest of it. A good, uh, I think that discussion will keep going on. So it's a good one to follow for for our listeners. Definitely a lot of thought-provoking conversation going on on that subject. So that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mall Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Information on how to get in touch with us, as well as links to all the topics we discussed today, is available at our currently disabled show notes wiki at tkmreport.com. We promise we will get that fixed soon. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast at the Legal Talk Network site or in iTunes. And if you have questions or suggestions for upcoming episode topics, please email us at tkmreport at gmail.com. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network, the premier online legal media network. Look for Tom and I at ABA Tech Show. We'd be happy to talk to all of our listeners. And be sure to find, recommend, and subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.